welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. Let me introduce my wife to you real quick, and she'll uh, give you a very brief introduction about who we are, for, since we're perfect strangers to a lot of you. And uh, so here's my wife, Lisa. Um, for want of better words, we would be known as the sex preachers, because <laughs> <laughs> And we never wanted to, we didn't choose to be that, but I'm going to give you a little brief synopsis of who we are. Back in 1990, before most of you were born, um, God was stirring the church in what we call the pro-life movement. And um, the church was raising up to stand against abortion. And so a number of people would do rescues where they'd sit peacefully in front of abortion clinics to save lives. And Jim um, participated in a lot of those, was helping lead in the nation. And um, he actually, he and uh, thousands of people risked arrest. And um, they say 30,000 people were arrested in the pro-life movement, where only 6,000 were in the civil rights movement, something the media would never tell you. But Jim was arrested numerous times, especially as a leader. And Pastor Joe Kelly was here a couple weeks ago. He and Jim spent 30 days in um, an upstate New York jail on federal charges. And people were willing to do that to save the unborn. And then um, God trans. So, and then after, as a result of that, Jim spent a lot of time in our city, Spokane, speaking to churches, trying to inform them about the issue of abortion and if the church needed to respond. And then God shifted our ministry in 1990-ish, early 1990s. He went to Russia for the first time, was teaching on abortion, and all of a sudden, all the women in the room were crying, and um, because we didn't know there that women. Um, um, abortion was the main means of birth control in Russia. Women had had six, seven, eight abortions, and as they heard God's truth, um, the guilt and shame they'd carried for years um, started to be released. And um, God challenged Jim at that moment to um, begin to minister to women, healing and restoration. And Jim thought, I can't do that, I'm a man. But God was asking Jim as a father to begin to do that. And that shifted our whole ministry. So the byline of our ministry now is truth, healing, and restoration. And he's taken that um, message to about 25 nations. And everywhere he goes, whether it's a remote city, um, remote town along the Amazon in Brazil or Slovakia or Ukraine, it's an issue. It's an issue every one of us face every day. And another issue that he um, began to reveal to us regarding sexuality is the blessing of children. And the world says sex is about pleasure and recreation, and God says sex is about pleasure and procreation. And um, scripture, it says God is very much about the generations, about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we make, we make life about us. Like, but life was not just about Abraham and what he did. It was about his son and his grandson. And then the world also tells us that children are a curse, a hindrance, a burden, a liability, and you don't really want many of them. And God's word says children are a gift, a reward, and a blessing. And so... <clears throat> And so we heard that, and God, we thought, we don't reject any of the other blessings of God, so we want all the blessing you want to give us. So at that point, we decided, God, give us all the blessing, and we had eight children. And um, Bethany is our second oldest, Maggie is our second youngest, and James was here recently helping lead worship, the guy with the long blonde hair. He's our baby, and we can't imagine life without any one of them. Actually, we can't imagine the kingdom without any one of them. And it's the hardest thing we've ever done, but it's the best thing we've ever done. So I've written three books on motherhood and homemaking, because once you have eight children, you become a mother and a homemaker. And just that talk about the value and worth of motherhood and homemaking. And one of, we, we were always asked, why do you have, are all those children yours? And that's the name of one of my books. And so the t <laughs> subtitle, are all those children yours? And the subtitle is why we have eight kids. And then Jim's written two books, um, Unmasked, um, Exposing the Cultural Sexual Assault and the Heart of a Woman. And we've had pastors come to us recently saying they cried as they read through Unmasked. So if anything that we say today sparks something in you, um, then we, we only have a few books. A lot of our books are waiting at the printer to be printed. And so if, if anything we said inspires you, you can pick up one of the few books there, or you can go to our website at sexualityunmasked.org. And if um, you can just, if you get a book today, just pay us online. Um, we're kind of not set up to do that. So thank you. All right. Okay. Thank you, Nikki on the keys, Nikki on the keys, Nikki on the keys.
Did I do that right? We got it. We got this down, man. Come on. Oh, wow. Well, it's just good to be with you. I love the Lord's truth, and uh, we're going to talk about truth today. We know God wants to, you know, he wants to give us a victory in this area of sexuality. I mean, we cannot be limping along as God's church, hamstrung and wounded. You know, you know the wounds, they affect our future, don't they? I mean, they, 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 they follow us. And uh, there's even a book, you know, that was created for men, you know, mainly for men and dealing with pornography called Every Man's Battle. And I understand that, but I don't, I, don't, I don't even believe, I don't even believe that. I don't believe that men are supposed to be saddled with a battle, like a fierce battle for every waking moment of their life in this area. I'm believing with all my heart, even what I'm going to talk about today, is, is part of what we would call every man's victory. Every man's victory, every woman's victory, that we, we are called to live in a place of victory in this area. I mean, think about it. Think about it. Every man's victory, every daughter's, every, every woman's victory, where we are living with a revelation of God's design and beauty, the beauty of his creation in terms of sexuality, keys to be what it means to be a godly single person, and to stand up, you know, part of it is that we've been silent. How many felt just the power of the discussion of the communion, the, the elements, when David was just talking about sin? How many sensed God's strength and power in that? Just those few moments, because it's the truth, and the truth declared imparts something to us. Just hearing truth can change how you think and change how you operate, and it can, it, that revelation can literally change your life. And, and preaching truth is exciting. I'm, I'm preaching out of Esther today. You're never going to think about Esther the same way ever again, ever, the rest of your life, never. You will never. And I love Esther. I love for such a time as this, if I perish, I perish. How many know the story of Esther? How many love the story of Esther, the, the, the orphan daughter who gets adopted by some distant relative and she becomes the queen of the greatest empire on the earth. I mean, that's like a fairy tale. I mean, that makes Cinderella look weird, you know. I mean, it's like, I mean, this is Esther who, who was br brought into this place for such a time as this. And in the history behind it, that God's working this, that God would use the submitted beauty of a daughter of God to deliver a nation under the decree of death. Think about what I just said. God using the submitted beauty of a daughter to save a nation that's under the decree of death. That's what he wants to do with the daughter of the church. And that's what he wants to do with every breathing female in the kingdom of God is that their collective submitted beauty would deliver a nation that's under the decree of death. We're feeling it, aren't we? Do you feel it? You feel the claws of darkness wanting just to strip everything that we love and hold dear away from us in terms of family and just the things God loves are under attack. They're under assault. So I want to I walk you through the, the Esther story. Uh, it's just a great story. Um, the beauty contest in pure Persia, the whole thing, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to kind of catch up some of it for you. But it starts in Esther 1, and uh, the king, uh, Hazawaris, has a banquet for his leaders, 180-day banquet. That's for the leaders. That's like a cruise for 180 days. Then he gave a banquet for all the people in the city, Susa. Can you imagine a seven-day banquet for everybody in the whole town? I mean, that's like... I don't know who catered that, but that's like a, that's a serious uh, something there. And then on the seventh day of the banquet, uh, he, he uh, requested that his wife come before the people and the princes so he could display her beauty. So how many know that, that the scripture, when it's telling a story, doesn't always, it's not always sanctioning what the story is? 
So we're going to talk about some stuff where, where the queen gets replaced by someone. You know, I'm, and the, you know, I know when the Lord says, I hate divorce, and I don't know if she got divorced or just got set down among all the queens. But how many know just because it's telling a story, it's not God saying, this is really how I like everything to be. You guys understand that? So I'm gonna, we're going to tell the story, but it's not necessarily sanctioning what we're talking about. It's just it's, it's relating that history, but I want to make some comments on it. So it says in verse 12 of chapter 1, the queen refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs, and the king became very angry, and his wrath burned within him. And then he, he asked, the, the question came, what will be done with Queen Vashti? She did not obey the command of King Ahasuerus. And so the wise men got together and said, here's, we got it. here's what we're going to do. We, we're going to make this decision. She's not, here's what she did. She, she's not wronged not only the king, but all the princes, all the people who are in the provinces. For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women, causing them to look with contempt on their own husbands. By saying, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought into his presence, but she did not come. This day the ladies of Persia have heard of the queen's conduct, will speak in the same way to all the king's princes, and there will be plenty of contempt and anger. So the end, the end result is Vashti is removed from her place as a queen. And it's decided that another one, more, quote, worthy than she, be given, be found and given the royal position as the queen. And in Basically, what has to happen is the, a, a, a complete empire-wide beauty contest is inaugurated. That's it's basically what happens. It's, we're, we're in a, there's 139 or 129 provinces where they're going to go out and they're going to... Here's the command. Here, here's, the, here's the... It says, let the king's attendants who served... Then the king's attendants who served him said, let beautiful young virgins be sought for... For the king, let the king appoint overseers in all the provinces of his kingdom that they may gather every beautiful young virgin to the citadel of Susa, to the harem, into the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given them. Then the lady who pleases the king, let her be queen in place of Vashti. And the matter pleased the king, and he did accordingly. So that's the scenario. That's kind of the, the backdrop. So we've got the beauty contest. We've got Vashti out. They're going to look for a new one. The next part of the story, we, we introduce Esther. We've got to introduce Esther in there. It's in chapter 2, of verse 5, it says, Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew whose name was Mordecai, Mordecai or Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shemei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. And he had, been take, he had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the captives who had been exiled. And he was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had not mother or father. Now the young lady was beautiful of form and face, and when her mother and father died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So we've got Esther as part of this part of this thing. And it says, when the command came about that the decree of the king was heard and many young ladies were gathered to the citadel, into Susa, into the custody of Haggai, that Esther was taken to the king's palace into the custody of Haggai, who was in charge of the women. In other words, Esther got put into the harem too. She was one of those young virgins that, that, that they found. That they, they went through all the provinces so then we got the selection process. Well, I'm going to give you the select. You got to understand the selection process of the beauty contest, okay? You guys with me? We got the beauty contest going. They're in there, and they go through the beautification process. After 12 months of beautification, came the turn of each of the women in the harem to go into the king. The young lady would go to the king in this way. Anything she desired was given her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. And here's the specific instructions. In the evening, she would go in, and in the morning, she would return to the second harem, to the custody of Shazgaz, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. And she would not go again to the king unless the king delighted in her, and she was summoned by name. Let's see, that's part of the, that's part of the process. They have 12 months of beautification, and then the interview process, she goes in, in the evening and returns in the morning. 
the king was probably really busy during the day, you know. Uh, nighttime interviews about Persian geopolitics and Middle Eastern economics, right? Gonna, the interview process was probably pretty rigorous for each of those ladies. In in the evening, return in the morning. Well, anyway. Um, finally, it says Esther was picked to be the queen. And Esther found favor in the eyes of all who saw her. Think about that now. And there's a lot of ladies in the harem. And, for, and Esther found favor in the eyes of all who saw her. That's amazing. So Esther was taken into the royal palace in the tenth month. The king loved Esther more than all the women. She found favor and kindness with him more than all the virgins, so that, she, that, that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So Esther became queen, and that's the end of the beauty contest and the end of the story. Or is it the end of the story? You got anything to say, David? I mean, I'm, that's it. I don't, I'm, the sermon's over. She, she, she became the queen. I didn't know it was going to be so such a short sermon today. She was made the queen. She found favor in the eyes of all who saw her. Here's my problem. Because the assumption here is this, that she went in in the, mor in the evening and left in the morning because this selection process wasn't about geopolitics. Persian geopolitics. It wasn't about Middle Eastern economics. And the assumption is that every woman that went to go to the king had a sexual moment with him. And this was the determining factor of whether or not she would become the queen. And my problem with this, if God was positioning someone like Esther, to deliver a, a nation from the decree of death, if I guess I begin to think that, that would God ask one of his servants to compromise one of his most sacred principles in the kingdom of God, that of sexual purity, to position someone to be and do the will of God? Would he, would he request that compromise? Would he, does he use compromise or does he use consecration? It's another way to say it. And if this is the case, then some kind of supernatural miracle must have occurred during this selection process. I mean, this is a Hebrew daughter who's committed to God, committed to God's standard, his beauty, sexual purity as a young woman. She goes into the harem. Could it be that there was a miracle as great as Daniel being saved out of the lion's den or the three Hebrew boys that were saved out of the fiery furnace? Both those were exiles also put into a situation where we needed a miracle of God. This is a different kind of miracle I'm thinking about. That somehow... Could it be that Esther didn't have to become sexual in order to be selected by the king? Is this, a is this just my fantasy, my hope, as I look at our broken earth, thinking this is possible? This has got to be possible, Lord. Because I don't believe God uses compromise to achieve his purposes on the earth. Every, my reading of history and the scriptures is that when push comes to shove, God uses consecration. And he's right now hoping and waiting that there be a spirit of consecration, especially in this area of sexual purity, born in the church. And that it would be announced to people, not even verbally, but by our lives. I mean, my dream is that the faces of the daughters of the kingdom would be so, their countenance would be so, so bright 
that people would be knocking on the door saying, what is going on in that place? Why are, the, why, are, why are the faces of the daughters of the kingdom so bright, both single women and married women? And what about those men who are like princes on the earth, who walk in a sense of government where God is ruling over every part of their life? The princes of the kingdom. Not in an arrogant, elitist sense, but in a sense of the servants of the kingdom of God, the, the broken-hearted lovers of people. But they have this dimension about them of purity, sexual purity, that's like, like it's, there's a radiance. I mean, the Lord speaks about our countenance. You know that. It's, this, it's, it's, it's something that sh even shepherds operate with that leaders operate in understanding people's countenance. Do you know that how you live shows up on your face? It just does. And the load of things in your spirit show up on your face. I'm, I'm not trying to be critical here, but I, mean, I, I, loved, I love this because we traveled to Russia a lot and uh, 40 times, and we'd have a picture of our family, and we have all the kids, and then my wife, and all the, the people in the former Soviet women look, and they would look, and my wife, because of my wife's countenance, they thought she was one of my daughters. And they would say, why, how come you, where's your wife? And they'd say, you have nine children. Why are you showing this picture with, without your wife? Why is your wife not in this picture? And my wife was in the picture, but her, her countenance made her look young. Isn't that crazy? So let me talk about the harem. To be, I believe this introduction, this harem, the harem spirit in the Persian culture, I want to make some parallels. I'm going to make some comments about it then. But to me, the harem was sexual. The harem was the harem. I don't, I'm not an expert on harems, but I've studied, I've, I've read about it. And the harem culture, there was a sexual spirit. And I believe the harem almost... It's like it's symbolic of the sexual spirit today. The first thing that we hear, remember we heard about the harem, is that the, that the overseers were sent out to every place to gather the young virgins into the harem. Do you think that was voluntary? This is Persia. This is a guy that says, your head's going to roll tomorrow. Your head rolls tomorrow. And they sent out overseers to gather, not invite, not request, to gather the young virgins, the beautiful... It's like you're going to knock on the door. You're a dad of a 15-year-old of a or a 19-year-old or I don't know, whatever. You, you, you pick the age. You're going to knock on the door because the Persian overseers are there to invite your daughter to the harem or to gather her to the harem. Like she's uh, leaving home. Like you have 15 minutes to pack your bags. You have 15 minutes to pack your bags and you're coming and you're going to be introduced into the harem spirit, and the harem system. You're going to be prepped to go into the king to wow him or to do whatever you think you need to do to, be, to compete to, for this prize. And the harem existed even before Vashti was demoted. So there were some other possible goals. I mean, this time the goal would be to come the queen, but the harem was existing while the queen was already in place. So there must have been some sort of pecking order, like maybe if I get called by name, I can wow him and I'll get elevated in the harem and it's all this. I mean, I don't know what's going on, why the harem exists if there the queen was already there, but that harem is in existence. It's a sexualized culture. It's sexual. And it's not voluntary. Today, that same sexual spirit is knocking on the door of every home where there is a young man or a young woman and is declaring to them, you are going to act this way, you're going to think this way, you're going to dress this way, you're going to do things you don't want to do, and you're going to become someone you don't want to be, possibly to try to find the love you know you want to have somehow. How many have felt that spirit? I come to New York... I, I feel it, I'm not condemning New York, but how many, how many feel the spirit, the sexual spirit? How many would, would be vulnerable enough to say that, that spirit wars against me? I mean, I can feel it warring against me. I mean, I am very conscious of it. 
How many would raise their hand and say that's you're in New York City and you're aware of that? It's 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 very real. It's I'm not saying you're participating if you're raising your hand. I'm just saying you're aware of that spirit. I mean, you can't. I think about, how about the competition in the harem? Do you think there was competition? Now, isn't it amazing? And it says, Esther found favor in the eyes of all who saw her. Esther gets introduced into the harem, and everybody loves Esther. Everybody loves her. I mean, this, this lady has something in her spirit. There's something about her. If, if you're the prettiest girl in the harem and, and, there, and, you, and there's another lady there that thinks she's the prettiest girl, then the newest girl who's introduced is a threat to the one that was already there. Is everybody following me? Has anybody seen a cat fight between two junior high girls over a guy? This is what we're talking about, a large scale. This is on a larger scale. This is the harem. Maybe they don't do cat fights, but can you imagine all the little comments and the little, up, you know, to, to position yourself to be the top, whatever that would mean, whatever that would take you, the competition, the comparison. And they're all getting ready for their, their night with the king. I mean, it's kind of like the numbers. I mean, the numbers are lined up. I don't know how many were. There's 127 provinces in Persia, and they were gathering the young virgins. Do you think there were five from each province? What does that mean? I mean, mathematics, five times 125, is that 500, 600? I don't know. Five or 600. So what number? You're waiting to be, and your number is, what's your number? Like number 167, you know? I mean, everybody's got their number. Your number's coming up. Think about the whole, the atmosphere of this and can you imagine the mentality of the lady? I mean, I always think of the mentality kind of like the New York City Rockettes, you know, like a, the, the king, king, I'm number 167, and tomorrow is going to be my day. I'm coming to see you, and king, you need to understand something. I'm going to give you, I am going to, your time with me is going to be something you're never going to forget. This is 167. The king's kind of going, next. <laughs> I mean, think about it. I mean, one after another, this, or the sultry one. King, I'm 192. <laughs> and I'm here for you. <laughs> and you'll never again be blue. And the king goes, next. <laughs> and we have to talk about the king for a minute. It's interesting to me that uh, this isn't just about Esther and the harem, but I'm thinking the king, you know, let's, let's talk about the king and what the king is after, what the problem is here, because... See, the king, was, was Vashti, his queen, beautiful? This is the king of Persia. Was she beautiful? Okay, she, was she sexual? Okay, so she's, he's got the trophy wife then. He's, he's the king of Persia, and he's got the beautiful and the sexual. But he's still, there's still friction. There's still not harmony there. See, this kind of flies in the face of what the culture would say is, guys, if you've got someone beautiful and sexual, everything is cool. You got to be the happiest guy on the earth. Like the guy, you know, the mafia guy with a girl on each arm, he's living the dream. Well, they want to claw his eyes out, and there's not harmony. And so we got a problem here. So what's happened with the king? I mean, he has all the beauty he wants. He has all the sexuality he wants. And he's unfulfilled. He's not happy because he's designed by God for true intimacy. And we have a culture that is unidimensional in terms of sexuality. That the highest value in a relationship is the sexual part of it and the spiritual oneness and the soul friendship part of that relationship 
are a lot of times not even read on the, they're not even there. Or they're trying to be created after the physical has been in, initiated. And you're scrambling to try to have a friendship. And maybe dreaming about, this might become spiritual. We're going to start going to church together. <laughs> and that's a great idea because that's the heart. See, that's the heart of people. They want God to bless something. They want to they, they wanna try to in, in, in make sure all the parts of intimacy are there, that there's a spiritual oneness and there's a soul friendship. And the enemy flip-flops it and initiates the sexual outside of God's covenant, which guarantees that the development of the friendship and the spiritual can hardly be initiated because of the cloud of guilt and shame and See, guys are trying to find this intimacy in the physical all the time. It's unidimensional thinking. And they're made for intimacy. They're made for spiritual oneness and that soul friendship and the physical. But they look for the sense, that sense of fulfilled intimacy just in the physical, and you can't find it there. You, you can be there all day long, and so you think it's going to happen here. So we've got to begin to adjust the physical experience. We've got to bring in this and that and bring in, you know, you've got to add to the physical to make it happen. Let's get another person in there. Let's get some porn in there. Let's get a, you know, and then pretty soon the physical doesn't sustain somebody because it was never designed to sustain somebody. So someone thinks, well, I've got to find somebody else who can wow me. This is the sorrow of our culture. And we've got Cosmo magazine, you know, it's ready to train up every young daughter. She can learn all the new sex tricks to keep whoever happy. You know, I mean, it's the saddest thing on the face of the earth. We got a picture of my son at his wedding and it's this, this picture of, it's kind of a neat picture. It's a picture of his face and you can see the silhouette of his bride's head walking toward him. So you see the back of her head. And there's this look on his face where he looks, he should, he should be really happy, but he, there's a little bit of the, whoa, I'm getting married today. I'm feeling a little bit of responsibility. <laughs> like, like, I'm excited because, you know, I'm going to, the dream of intimacy with my wife, that's great, and God blesses that. You know, everybody says, yeah, it's wedding, man, I'm blessing this. But he, he's got that other part of his look, kind of like I'm feeling like, oh my gosh, this is, which is great. When I saw that, I go, this is the picture of what God designed. Because God never designed men to have access to sexual experience without corresponding responsibility and commitment. Or it would become a monster to them. I mean, he, he designed it. He, he, he said, if you're going to experience this sexual experience, then you are, you, you get to, you're going to get to buy into the responsibility for that. Because I never designed you to have access to this without the responsibility. It's good for us. And the Lord knew the power of it and how quickly it could become out of control if we had access without commitment, without any responsibility, which is kind of the perverted worldly dream, you know, a guy, a girl in every port, you know, you know, like the, the sailor with a lady in every port, you know, and the harem, the harem spirit. I got number 167 and 192 and 301 and wow, I'm living the dream. What about the harem? What else? Oh, the, did you see the one, it, is this, it's really the harem, the, the, the selection process was the one night stand. Did you catch that? She's going to go in the morning, go in the evening and come back in the morning. I'm thinking, 
And I get, when, I, when I think about this, there, the, the dad in me gets really mad. Because I'm thinking, this is what the culture is saying. This is what the culture has said. Is that you can experience all there is to experience in a woman in a 20-minute encounter with her. It's the reduction of the personhood of every female. That you can experience everything that, that is experienceable, everything that's valuable. You can experience everything you need to experience in a 20-minute encounter. Where God says this. God says you don't touch her till you marry her, and you will spend the rest of your life experiencing who she is. The rest of your life. The treasure of who she is. The treasure of her personality. The treasure of how she thinks. How God created her. How he designed her. The beauty. The beauty is there to help heal a nation under the decree of death. Her submitted sexuality. That, that daughter who would operate in purity. Makes me mad. That lie makes me mad. It's a lie. I would just say to every daughter, you are, you are worth someone making a commitment to. Period. Did you notice in the... She would go to the, to the king and she'd come out and go to another harem. Did you, did you hear that? To the second harem. It's kind of the harem of the exes. And then she goes into the second harem and doesn't get called out of that unless the king asks for her by name. That's just like the culture today too. Because there's relationships that break up and then somebody becomes somebody's ex. And then, you know, invariably, somebody's going to get a text at 1 a.m. from an ex. The guy is texting his ex. And what does the daughter think? He changed his mind about me. He, he's texting me. He, he changed his mind about me. He, I go, honey, he didn't change his mind about you. He wants sex, and he's going down his list, and any door that opens, I'm really sorry. He hasn't changed his mind about you. If he cared about you, he would take you for a walk in the park. And spend some time with you in public. In the daylight. So the harem imprints. People end up in the harem. And it imprints something on them. There's like an imprint on their spirit. Their, their identity becomes sexualized if you live in that. Purity isn't the absence of sexual behavior. Purity is sexuality in God's context for it. We have to be careful because we want, we you know we try to train young people. Sex is bad. Sex you know sex before marriage is bad. Sex is bad. You know stay away from sex. Bad 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 bad. It's about sexuality in God's context. Sex is beautiful. Sex is God's design. It's His creation. He made it. He knows how it works best. It's like fire in a fireplace. You don't build a fire in the middle of the living room floor. You burn the house down and kill people. And so God, no, and my wife is pure. My wife is sexually pure. Well, we're 43 and had eight, 43 years married and have eight kids. Well, how does that work? You, you guys are sexual. I go, no, it's, it's sexuality in God's context. It's purity is sexuality in, with God's permission, with God's blessing. You get it? 
We've got, to, we've got to approach this that way and not make it some polarization of good and bad. It's context. It's God's design. It's his creation. My single daughters are pure. My married daughters are pure because they are experiencing God's gift within God's boundaries with God's blessing. That's how it works. So we have the sexual identity. We have fear and the consequences. You know, when you're in the harem, spirit teaches people to relate on a, sex, on a sensual, physical level, not their, that relational level. I've counseled lots of single young women who unfortunately had initiated so many relationships and, and, and so much of the basis of those relationships was their physical interaction that they were afraid to get into a relationship with a young man without that after they were converted because, like, suppose they don't like me. Because <laughs> they, were, they were instantly like before. Instantly like. This is instant, instant, like, instant intimacy with no rejection is a sex-based, a, a physically-based relationship. It's instant intimacy with no rejection. I mean, everybody wins on that, right, until you try to have a, communicate, have a relationship. I mean, go to the grocery store, whatever, you know, until you try to do something where, where real life. That's my watch. That's just to remind me so I can stay on time here. You know, Babylon was this Persia, Babylon, the, the system of Babylon. And Revelation talks about Babylon, because I'm talking about all the negative of this harem spirit and the culture of the harem. Really declaring to you the harem spirit's alive today. And that Babylonian, that, that Babylon spirit is alive today. It's the, sex, the sexualized culture is alive today. And we face it. And in Revelation, God talks about the Babylon spirit. I want to read it to you. At Revelation 18, 1 through 3, it says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was illumined with his glory, and he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Interesting description. I mean, a lot of language about sensuality. Did you, did you follow that? She's become a dwelling place of demons and the prison of every unclean spirit. The passion of her immorality. The kings have committed acts of immorality with her. It's so interesting. It's like God saying there's a spirit we have to deal with. Here's Babylon. And, and, and I love the way God speaks in his scripture because in Revelation, he's talking about the Babylon spirit. He's talking about this sexualized spirit. He's talking about this, and he's, he's introducing it as defeated. He, he doesn't just describe this spirit. He says, he says I'm going to talk to you about a spirit, but I want to make a declaration to you. That fallen, fallen is Babylon. That this spirit is fallen. This spirit has been defeated at the cross. That the consequences of sexual sin and the brokenness that sexual sin causes, and whether it's sin against you or sin that you committed, whoever ends up in the harem and however they ended up in the harem and how, whatever kind of imprint you have had on your life because of this, is that that spirit has been broken and defeated at the cross. It says, fallen, fallen is Babylon. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. It's been cast down. It's been defeated. That's why there's scripture about the prodigal son returning after wasting his life. See, God's inviting his people to be restored. why God picked a lady named Mary Magdalene. 
I was reading through the different passages in each of the Gospels, and Mary Magdalene was the one. She, she was one of the first ones to run to the tomb and then run and say, he's risen. And I love that about God. That's like God saying something to every daughter on the face of the earth, saying, I don't care where you've been or what you've This is Mary Magdalene, the prostitute that had seven demons. And God ordained that she would be the one of the first ones, the, the very first one to say, he is risen, to run with that message without shame, without any sense, well, I can't run with that message because of who I am. I can't run with that message, Lord, because of the things I've experienced. No, there was none of that. She knew by spending that time with Jesus before he died. She was included in the band. She was healed by him. She had seven demons cast out of her, and she knew she was qualified. She knew she was qualified not because of who she was or where she came from or what her history was. She knew she was qualified to run with that message and say, he's risen. She knew that. That was a statement to every daughter on, on every, in every nation, that I don't care who you are or what you've done or how... I don't care what has happened to you or what has or what you've done. You know, when you can't think about the harem, you, you have to think about, well, how, how do people get into the harem? Just immorality. Plain Sexual sin is part of the harem spirit today. But there's other, other early sexual experiences that were unwanted. Can thrust someone into the harem culture. Can put a stamp on someone where, where their life has been marked. They were touched in the wrong way when they were a little boy or a little girl. That can thrust someone into the harem, into that world of the harem. Where suddenly their sexuality is awakened way before it's time. Like the enemy's plan is to destroy and mark someone. And the influence of the lies and culture, I call it, I've coined this term, atmospheric molestation. You know that you can be in an atmosphere and it literally can alter you, how you think, and the words you hear as a young woman or a young man from your family or just the sense you could maybe sometimes from your own father or uncle the how he views women is a statement it's shouting to you and that atmospheric molestation can create an atmosphere where you're affected by that not everybody that's been affected or marked or spent time in the harem wanted to be there. Something may have happened that's the last thing you ever wanted. Jesus is breaking down the prison walls of the harem. I've seen him do it. He's doing it in every nation. He's, he's declaring that that harem spirit can be broken that that time spent there by your own choices or by things that were done against you, that the time there can be negated by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can come and break the power of the harem. He can break the history of the harem. He can separate your heart from your history in a moment of time. Some of you have been carrying this the, uh, harem experience in your spirit, actually trying to figure out what can I do to to be pure again. That's a godly longing that God wants to honor. That longing to be pure again. Can you imagine what Mary Magdalene felt like? It's not just the sex traffic daughter, you know, it's the, it's the little junior high girl who all she hears every day of her life is the most important part of who she is is her sexuality. What's it like to grow up in a culture that that's the message you hear? every day of your life. God wants to break the power of that message, that, that little pathway into the center of the harem. He wants to break the power of that by his mighty hand. He can do that in a moment of time. There has to be a desire and a longing to be set free. We've got a message. Messages to those departing the harem. 
These are great declarations. You've heard me say them before. The first one I want to declare is that purity is more than the history of your body. Think about that. Think about how radical that is. Wait a minute. You're lying. You're just twisting words. No, listen. There's something about purity. We have failed in the church when we make it all about virginity. We're, we're, we're as physically focused on relational issues as the world is, is when we make everything about virginity and not about the spirit of the person. And I'm not excusing. I'm not excusing. I'm not saying we're going to just, who cares about virginity? But I'm saying virginity can't be the standard. Purity has to be the standard. That's good news for some people in this room today. Come on, that's good news. It isn't about pure, it isn't about virginity. It's about purity. It's about what your heart wants. That's a declaration. Purity is more than the history of your body. And let me say this, dear Christian daughter in the kingdom of God. I'm going to a lot of places and I'm watching a lot of men and they are, they are growing in the spirit of revelation. They're understanding a daughter's heart and they're not walking around as single men with a checklist of somebody's body history. Oh my, see, are you? Oh my, uh -huh. No, they're seeing other daughters being restored by God, worshiping God, running after God with all their heart. And they're saying, I'd like to marry someone like that. It isn't about some checklist of body history. It's about the declaration that purity is more than the history of your body. Come on. God wants to seal that for some of you today. He wants you to, to have that sealed today by the Holy Spirit. Some of you men, God wants to break the harem spirit. He wants to you, you populated harems in your past, and I'm not trying to bring up something. I know you've repented, but if there's still some kind of shame from that, some sense, or even part of that harem spirit that's still operative, God wants to break that today. He just wants to seal it up. He wants to break it. He wants to, he wants to set you in that place. There's no class system. There's no caste system in the kingdom of God. There's not the front row of the garden for all the ones who have lived perfectly and then there's the wilted flower section for all the rest who have failed. There is no wilted flower section in the kingdom of God's garden. There's no second class. We're not going to have a caste system in the middle of the kingdom of God in regards to sexual purity. We're going to see people healed and delivered and restored and embracing. And we're going to declare fallen, fallen is Babylon. It's fallen. And we're going to let the work of the cross. And the lies that accompany the harem, we negate. We say today, you are not dirty, and there is nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with your masculinity or your femininity. Just close your eyes. You stand with me. Lord, we ask you to do what you do best this morning. God speaking to you and you would say somehow there's some, something with the harem it's, it's marked you or it's influenced you or you spent time there and you know in your heart God just saying I, I'm, 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 I'm breaking the walls of the harem prison house today whether it's thinking or where you're at or the history Breaking the walls of the harem prison house. Just raise your hand. Breaking the walls of the harem prison house. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, 10, 11, 12, 13, 
breaking the wall. Keep them up. Breaking the walls of the harem prison house. Just begin to talk to God about what he, what your, why your hand is up. Talk to him. Just say, Lord, I want this. Come on. It's so important. It's so important. It's so important. Breaking the walls of the harem prison house. We got some men with their hands up. I'm so proud of them. Lord, break the, break the spirit, Lord. Break the spirit of the harem, populating harems, Lord. Lord, we thank you. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. Fallen, fallen is that spirit. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. Fallen, fallen. want to pray for you. This is the kind of church where we don't take names when you come forward. We don't think, oh man, what's that person doing? You know what? We're going to close by just having people come. Raise your hand. You said you believe God's working that, breaking the power of that harem prison house. I want you to come on up. Come on up. God's going God's to break something. He's going to break it. He's going to seal it. Come on. Just take some time. This is not about, yeah. Um, this is a hard message to respond to because we're afraid of what people think. Um, there were some services where I felt like I needed to fall to my knees but I was uh, during worship, but I was afraid of what people think. And my 12-year-old nephew went, was worshiping up front, and he fell on his knees. And it freed me to fall on my knees, so I just cried through the rest of the service. And I was in a discipleship school years ago, and I'd broken my leg. I was sitting in back with my leg on a pillow. And there was a call to repent from sexual sin. And I was afraid what people thought. And so I used my leg up on the pillow as an excuse. And so I want you, and I've regretted that ever since. So don't be afraid what people think about you. If God's touching your heart today, come and receive forgiveness, receive restoration. Such an important moment. You don't know how important this moment is. Listen. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. The shame, the spirit of shame. How many, raise your hand anywhere in the building. Shame, shame has been dictating to you, saying things to you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but if you're dealing with shame, raise your hand. Any kind of shame, any kind of disqualification in this area where the enemy constantly is saying, because of this or that in your life, you're disqualified. You're going to have to be a, a, a slave instead of a son or daughter. Just raise your hand real quick. We're going to break that spirit. The spirit of shame right now. The spirit of shame. Spirit of shame, we break your power now. Shame, shame, take your hands off, sons and daughters of the kingdom of God. Spirit of shame, we cast you down now. Shame, back to hell where you came from. Spirit of shame, you're a lying spirit. We break your power now. Shame, go now, go, go. Shame, go. Move, Lord. Move, Lord. Move, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Move, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we break the walls of the harem prison house, Lord. We, we break the marks, Lord, of time there, time in the harem world, God. We break it. We break it, Lord. Thank you, Father. Raise up men, God, with a revelation of a daughter's heart, God. Raise up men. Every man's victory, Lord. Revelation of every man's Expand the revelation of every man's heart, the revelation of a daughter's heart, God. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know him in a personal and tangible way. 
If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org.